You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. As great as his contribution was on the football field, it was even greater in the greater Pittsburgh community. This is Saverin on Steelers. Hello to all in Steelers Nation and welcome to the Saverin on Steelers podcast. I'm Stan Saverin, your host. We post up twice weekly. You can get our podcast, Steelers content only, for Steelers Nation, of course, at Steelers.com. Just go to Steelers.com and you can listen to the podcast right then and there. Normally, we're getting comments from writers, broadcasters, um, observers about the Steelers, their most recent game their upcoming opponent, um, issues involving the team. But something happened not all that long ago, less than a week ago, that shook Steelers Nation and yours truly to his core, and that is the unexpected, tragic passing of Franco Harris. And so I thought that even though we're about a week out from that, that Franco's greatness and his reach and footsteps in touching Steelers Nation and all those connected to it was so great and so wide that we'd be remiss if we didn't devote at least one of these podcasts to his life and times and legacy. I've often thought that the Immaculate Reception, which of course celebrated the 50th anniversary of that, I always thought that maybe that the Immaculate Reception, even though it was voted the NFL's greatest play of all time, may have actually detracted from Franco's legacy. And the reason I say that is it overshadowed what was a brilliant Hall of Fame career. Now, certainly that would never be the case in Pittsburgh. Everybody who is from Pittsburgh, Western Pennsylvania, or follows the Steelers, knew full well what a great player Franco was. But there are people out there who are far removed. There are people out there who weren't alive at the time of the Immaculate Reception. After all, we're talking 50 years. Who may hear the name Franco Harris and say, oh yeah, the Immaculate Reception guy And leave it at that. And forgetting about what a dominant force he was. Nine consecutive Pro Bowls. Hall of Fame. All those yards gained. 
And I thought him being tagged with that one play, not that that's a bad play to be tagged with, may have detracted some from his legacy, from those who weren't around at the time or didn't follow the Steelers as closely as you and I. And so it's important to remember what a tremendous player he was. And made notable by no less an authority than Joe Green, who would often say that Franco was the missing piece. That at the time he came, while the dynasty years were still ahead of them, The defense was already assembled. You had two Hall of Fame wide receivers. You had one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived to play the game, to round out the passing attack. But they were missing that running back in a Chuck Knoll-style trapping game. They had not yet developed that, but when Franco showed up, The dynasty years were underway. And while the Macula reception may have proven that, the way they won Super Bowl IX certainly cemented that fact. Franco, 158 yards in the win over the Vikings. Franco was the missing piece. Rounding out a great running attack to go with what would become, once the rules changed, a devastating aerial attack added on to by guys like Jimmy Smith, Theo Bell. It also always seemed to me that Franco was special as more than just a football player. For one who has lived in Pittsburgh 47 years, I saw firsthand the work he did in the community. And sometimes we kind of poo-poo that and so that's nice. But in Franco's case, it was more than nice because it continued well after his playing days. It's one thing to be out there and appearing in events when the interest in you is that high because of your playing days. It's another to continue that long after your playing career ended. I mean, Franco's playing career ended 28 years ago already. And yet you could see him. I did see him at many charitable events, always visible always organizing. If you had a foundation you wanted to start and you called Franco, he'd be there. He truly was one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. It makes sense for an athlete to stay in the town where he excelled with a team. It's a smart business decision. 
So a player should never be chastised for that. It also seems logical that a player who won championships as a member of a team that was a champion to stay in that town. The business opportunities are open to you and virtually endless. But that's not what made Franco and Pittsburgh such a great match. I'm not sure I know how to describe this. I'm not sure anybody really knows. But Franco belonged here. It wasn't just that he was a four-time Super Bowl champion, nine-time Pro Bowler, Hall of Fame, or that he really took great delight in participating in charitable events. It's just that Franco belonged here. Franco was a Pittsburgh guy, whatever that entails, whatever definition you want to use. Franco just fit here in Pittsburgh. He belonged here. We often forget that he is a New Jersey native. Displaced, not that far to go to Penn State, but displaced yet again to come to Pittsburgh out of Penn State. But he belonged here. If you wanted to paint a portrait of a Pittsburgh guy, Franco was it. Just his attitude about things, his willingness and desire to do community service, that's what Pittsburgh's all about. And that's what Frank Franco Harris was all about as well. I developed a nice relationship with Franco over the years. There's always some barrier between a reporter and an athlete. But beyond his playing days, I would see Franco at various charitable events. He always had a kind word for me, as he did for everyone. I considered him a friend. Most people considered him to be exactly that. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right, so what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're joined now by Joe Gordon, who was the public relations executive with the Steelers through those dynasty years and then some. Hey, Joe, welcome. Happy holidays. Good. Same to you, Stan. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Before we start talking about Franco, um, 
you were there, obviously, at Three Rivers when it occurred. Were you in the press box? Were you downstairs going to the locker room? Um, and based on the, the, the tape that you see, the film that you see, it was just sheer pandemonium. Would that be the best way to describe it? Absolutely. My position in the press box coincidentally was on a direct line to the 40-yard line. And I saw the whole play unfold right in front of my eyes. But to be honest with you, Stan, I wasn't sure whether Jack Tatum deflected the ball or Frenchie did. And I wasn't convinced. I didn't know for sure whether Franco caught the ball before it touched the ground. But I saw the whole thing. And then, of course, once he got the ball, ran down the left sideline, I saw the entire play for from there. Were people in the press box um, subdued? Well, you know, no, no cheering in the press box, but um, awaiting word as to whether were they aware of the rule that two offensive players at that time could not touch the ball back to back? No, I don't think uh, they were really aware of the rule, but the, uh, the attitude, the, the sense in the press box, was really depression because it looked like Steelers were going to lose before that play unfolded. But uh, uh, Fred Swearingen, who was a referee, he came, Buff Boston, who was our field manager, came over to the pirate dugout and there was a ring down phone there. And he picked up the phone and it rang at my position in the press box and, uh, Buff said, Swearinger wants to talk to McNally, meaning Art McNally, who was the director of officiating for the NFL and was at the game, obviously. And the next thing I knew, McNally was next to me. So I handed him the phone. I said, uh, Swearinger wants to talk to you, Art. And Art picked up the phone and he said, what'd you see? And whatever Swearinger said, I didn't hear so McNally said, then call it. And that conversation, Stan, probably lasted no more than 15 or 20 seconds. Then Swearingen went out on field, raised his arms, and the celebration continued. So you were one of the first people to know based on hearing half a conversation up in the press box. Yeah, right. When he said, uh, then call it, I immediately knew that he was going to call Call it a touchdown. This is purely speculative, but let's just assume for the sake of discussion that there had been instant replay. Um, My guess is they would have said, we called it a touchdown on the field, and the video is inconclusive as to whether there's enough to overturn it. You think that's the way it would have turned out? I think, yeah, that'd be typical because that's pretty much the way they make those rulings today. based on the call on the field, and it's hard to overturn that, especially if it's not real conclusive, which to this day, when I see it, I still can't make a decision. Of course, (laughs) Frenchie has milked it for 50 years. He has, and he's still, I interviewed him a couple years ago, he's still uh, going along with that. Last thing about the actual experience, uh, what was the locker room like, Joe, when you finally got down there? Oh, it was pandemonium, of course. And it's, as you recall, the chief was in the elevator on his way down 
which was typical of him. He always, at home games, always came down after the game uh, to talk to the players, and he was on his way down to console the players because he didn't know who was them. He got off the elevator, and the security guard yelled at him, we won, we won. The chief said, how do we win? How could we win? <laughs> and, and he said, well, Franco scored a touchdown, you won. Then he came into the uh, the dressing room, and like I said, it was pandemonium. Uh, we're going to hear from Art Rooney in a rare interview that he did with a guy you knew well, Tom Bender. Um, we've been able yes, to get uh, right. secure that. We're going to play that um, the next segment. Um, um, you know, one thing about Franco, uh, Stan, he was a big back with a little little back's moves. Yeah. You know, and that he was like two thirty, two thirty five. And now that's a common weight for running backs, but it was unusual in that era. And uh he had the shiftiness, the nimbleness, uh, you know, of a, a small back with a big back size. I likened him as the closest thing to Jimmy Brown because he was a big man at six two, two thirty. Uh, and you know, yet he had great speed and ran like a halfback. Um, and I don't know, Joe, do you share with me uh, that the immaculate reception, in some sort of obtuse way, um, sort of draws away from Franco's legacy um, as a as, as great a back as he was? Yeah, I I agree with you. Uh, like uh, most people, especially the younger generation, who've heard of the immaculate reception. They just attribute that as the highlight of Franco's career, which it was. But when you realize how productive he was as a uh, a running back, and a lot of people don't realize this, when we had the contract dispute in 1984 uh, with Franco, uh, he was only about 450 yards away from passing Jim Brown as the all-time leading uh, rusher in NFL history. Yeah, that, that's people have to understand um, that only Walter Payton and Jimmy Brown uh, were ahead of him uh, at the right. time of his retirement. But uh, he only gained, I think, maybe a couple hundred yards when yeah. he went to Seattle. He was only there for, I think, what five, five or six games. Yeah, that that's all, and that was it, and that was that was the end. Uh, we had Jack Cam on yesterday, Joe, and I asked him what was he like at Penn State. Uh, he was a year behind, and he was kind of a quiet guy. Um, what was Franco like as a rookie? Number one draft choice. Um, was he kind of quiet and subdued? Um, yes, very quiet. Uh, just uh, kind of took his place among the rookies. And uh, one thing I remember very significantly, he, he was not very impressive in the early days of training camp. And some of the assistant coaches were saying, hey, maybe we made a mistake, maybe <laughs> We should have taken Robert Newhouse, which was Chuck's pre- preference uh, in the draft, and he was convinced by Art Rooney Jr. and Dick Haley to take Franco. But then we played a preseason game in uh, Atlanta, and he exploded for an 80-yard run, which was unbelievable. He hit that hole, you know, and he always kind of like looked around to see where the hole was. He didn't always immediately move into the uh, line, he saw the hole. And, I mean, it was unbelievable. And after that game, everybody 
in the organization knew that this guy was something special. You know, it's funny because both Jack Cam yesterday on the show, and uh, I've heard Joe Green say that, you know, many times, that, that burst in Atlanta, even in an exhibition game, uh, showed right. everybody. Um, were there, he wasn't a great practice player, uh, didn't interest him a great deal. Uh, Chuck used to open up every training camp at Latrobe with the Oklahomans, and uh, Franco made it a habit of running outside the the pylons of the dummies, uh, which didn't. Yeah, he hated point. that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, also, too, uh, in practice, when he would run a play, regardless of where it was, and even if it was a non-contact uh, drill, and and usually even the contact was not. Uh, typical for contact in a game. He would run all the way into the end zone <laughs> every play. The other thing I recall about him, the striking contrast to today, is uh, when Franco scored a touchdown, if you remember, he just put the ball on the ground. Yep. You know, no celebration or nothing special in contrast to today what happens. Uh, that may be attributable to uh, Joe Paterno saying, act like you've been there before. Exactly. Uh, he he exactly. drilled that um, in, into them. Uh, Joe, as a person, uh, I, I, people may not be aware of this, but when rookies come into the Steel organization, um, they are paired up, um, if they don't have a preference, with a charity um, or, or some sort of community group. That's how the Steelers get so invested in the community and why they remain so popular. I remember you saying to me one time, you know, we're not always going to be 12-4 and four and win Super Bowls. Um, uh, was Franco uh, on board with all that? Because when we look at his later life, that's basically all he did. There are a million different charities that he was. Oh, it's unbelievable. He never said no to anyone. Yeah. And I've said it all week, and I've said it for years. As great as his contribution was on the football field, it was even greater in the greater Pittsburgh community. But to give you an example, in his rookie year, it was after training camp, after we broke training camp when we came back to Pittsburgh, I got a call that there was a young boy who had a terminal illness at Children's Hospital and would it be possible for a, he was a Steeler fan, even though he was very young, would it be possible for somebody to visit him? So I went into the dressing room after practice, and I said, just address Anybody who was still in there, some were still in the shower. Others were still getting their equipment off, and I explained to it, and there was like a hesitation, like no response for about two or three minutes. And Franco said, I'll go. And that, that, that was just so typical of him. And at that time, if you remember, he did not have an automobile, a car. Right. He used to he used to take the bus. He lived in East Liberty. <laughs> he, he used to take a bus, so he took a bus to Children's Hospital. And that that was just typical Franco. I mean, just such a special human being. It's uh, it's it's really sad that uh, the timing of this this week it was just so unfortunate. Yeah, it's almost cruel. Uh, uh, ironically cruel. Um, we had a conversation before you came on the air, um, and um, I was fortunate enough to be there the day that they announced 
that they were going to retire Franco's number. Um, and they had a little mini press conference there, and he visited with me on the air for a while. And the thing that I thought of, uh, like you, Joe, uh, how unfortunate uh, that here was this moment, not only a big moment in his life, but, I mean, he, he loved the Steelers organization. He truly did. And for them to retire his number, only the third in history, it meant so much. Um, and I'm sure he would have relished, no matter the weather, uh, in the ceremony Saturday night. But I took some small measure of solace in that Franco knew before his passing that he was going to get this honor. It's not like they were going to surprise him with it Saturday, but he knew. And I, I think he took that joy with him. No question. Well, if you remember back to the press conference when Art II announced that they were going to retire his jersey and, and jersey number and he was there, I mean, he was just so happy. Yes. Uh, you know, he had that big smile. That's the other thing. I never saw a guy who smiled as much as Franco. It's amazing. <laughs> Joe Green said that uh, he was the missing piece from a football right. perspective. Um, uh, you know, just about everything else was in place. The defense, certainly. The wide receivers, the quarterback, uh, the offensive line. But he was the missing piece. Uh, do you believe that without him or with Robert Newhouse that the Steelers ever developed the dynasty of the 70s? No, no. Like Joe Green said, before Franco came, we never made the playoffs. And when he came, we made them eight straight years. Yeah. And I think that that's the bottom line on that. I don't, I don't think anybody could have uh, brought the team together the way he did, made the big plays and uh, played Steeler football. He, he was obviously the key, but also the steel curtain was a major factor. But I, I personally don't think we would have won four Super Bowls without Franco. We may, even, may not have even won Super Bowl nine. If you remember, at halftime, the score was two to nothing. Yep. And Franco gained 158 yards in that game, a Super Bowl record. But more importantly, um, he was just a great human being. There aren't many like him. I, I imagine uh, it'll be a while before we see anybody close to just the human being that Franco Harris was. I'll give you another example of that, Stan. During the pandemic, he used to call me every two or three weeks, and he said, you okay? Do you need anything? If you need anything, give me a call. And I'll bet you he did that with 20 other people. Yeah. That was That's him. how much he cared about other people. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's a void that cannot be, uh, cannot be closed. Joe, I really appreciate the time uh, and your insight and your expertise. Uh, no one knows more than you what the Immaculate Reception meant to the city, uh, the franchise, and no one knows more than you what Franco meant to all of us in each in our own individual ways. Uh, again, I want to thank you for the time. It's great catching up with you. And as soon as I can get out of the house, uh, we'll do that lunch we talked about. All right. Thanks for having me, Stan, and have a good holiday. Thanks, Joe. You too. Bye. 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 We post up, and you can get us at Steelers.com. I invite you to listen to my daily radio show. It's on ESPN Pittsburgh. That's 970 AM. Or you can get it merely by downloading the iHeartMedia app.
comes in clear as a bell no matter what part of the country you happen to be on. If you want to listen to it live, we're on every day, noon to 2 Eastern Time. But we also send it up on the podcast on Twitter, at Stan Love the Show. And on the radio station's Twitter account. You can also catch me and Charlie Batch on the Steelers postgame shows. About 15 minutes after each Steeler game has concluded. Thanks for joining me today on Saverin on Steelers. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.